Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and uh, this is a conversation with Maggie Tweedy. She is the breakfast host for Radioactive in Wellington. Um, and I didn't know Maggie, I mean, I knew her voice, as happens with radio, I'd listened to her, but I didn't know her until um, maybe two months ago. She interviewed me when my book came out. Uh, I appeared on the Radioactive Breakfast Show, and that was my first time meeting her. And uh, she said afterwards, oh, we should get a coffee sometime and talk about interviewing. And I said, well, you know, let's um, let's turn that into a podcast. So that's what we did. So she came around to the house and I wanted to get her story and talk to her about who she is and what she does, which is the, the theme of the show, really. And uh, we did have a bit of a chat about music journalism and music and interviewing and shared some stories. And uh, she is also writing for um, North and South and the, um, the Verb group that put on Lit Crawl, she's doing some work for them, so she's moved into the freelance writing uh, realm, and um, but has these stories about interning in radio, being into radio, working for Active, then moving overseas, and then really getting headhunted, getting called back to um, take over the breakfast show. She is the first female sole breakfast show host that Radioactive has ever had, and maybe one of the first in the country, I think, as a... As a um, a sole entity. She is the uh, host and the producer. She puts on the show. She's uh, uh, an impressive talent to watch. You know, when I was in there, watching her queuing up the the music, the next interview, um, offering to get me a coffee, and then bam into the interview, and just a total pro. So um, I enjoyed this conversation. I'm a big fan of Maggie's work, and um, I hope you like listening to this. We've met one other time, yeah. and it was really recently, and this is funny, it was a total um, shoe on the other foot situation. So we met uh, very recently when you interviewed me. Yeah. If that hadn't happened, um, I would have, I'm glad that happened, it was a cool interview, um, but if that hadn't happened, I would have eventually reached out to you, I would have liked to, I've always wanted to talk to you, but obviously you're someone who I wanted to meet first, so that's, that's how it kind of panned out. Naturally, uh, yeah. I mm. wanted to. I, I was at a Joan as Police Woman concert in, at Meow last year, and she was talking about you. And then I was scanning the audience where to see he? who. <laughs> yeah, where is he? Mm. Um, and by your reaction, I knew that it was you. Uh, and oh, wanted to oh, I thought you. I was poker faced. Was but, I not? <laughs> no, well, that was it. You were. You were. Like, oh, I was. Yeah, you were quite. Um, <laughs> Stoic, so right, I thought, yeah, oh, yeah. that's got to be you. Because uh, I had a friend, yeah. with my, my, my wife was with me and a friend was with me, True. and I think they just thought it was such so crack up that I kind of It was, had to and then be... I thought after that point, I'm probably not going to go and say hi to you because yeah, yeah. it looks a bit cheesy. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought, oh, we'll wait, we'll wait till it's Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> so, and so I've heard you on the radio and know what you do, and but as I say, sometimes with some people, I'm really into cold calling them, having them around. Other times when it's someone, depending on what they do, yeah, I just sort of want to meet them first and, 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 and and I guess um, I don't know. Ask them. Ask them first whether they want to actually <laughs> come and do the podcast rather than the first call being. You know, sometimes it works out that you just message someone. And anyway, here you are. And so, you, where did you come from? You came from Hawkes Bay. Originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Not yeah. today. No, no. I know where you came from today. <laughs> uh, where did you come? You came from Hawkes Bay. Yeah, and and as as do you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a. A small rural town called Tutera, which is oh, yeah. on the way to yes. from Napier, for people who don't know, to uh, Wairua Mahia. Uh, and it's actually where the song Tutera Maina Iwi comes from. 
I don't think I knew that. Oh, where? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, so that was the song that we sung at our primary school of is about it, 40 kids. Is that, and is that really Hawke's Bay? I'm not being rude, is it? Like, does that technically... Well, it's, it's it, yeah, it's north of Napier, so yeah. I, I guess it, it just cuts off on that yeah. parameter, yeah. It's like, it would be like calling Waipak, Waipawa Hawke's Bay, like Central mm-hmm. Hawke's Bay, but it's that sort of distance away, isn't it? From Yeah, it's about 40 minutes yeah. drive yeah. from Napier, yeah. uh, 30 if you know the road well. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, it's been years since I bet when we, we did some school camps up there. Beautiful, Guthrie Smith. Yeah, yeah, and obviously went to... Um, Gisborne a few times mm. um, when I was at school. Haven't been there for a long time, so I haven't driven that road for a long time. But the Devil's Elbow, there's yeah. a band actually yes. that takes that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hawks Bay band. They are similar to what you would expect <laughs> the sound <laughs> one would make when what you was, go around those. So you went to a obviously as a, a small school, mm-hmm. country school. So yeah. what? Couple of teachers and small. Yeah, of three teachers. teachers, one three rooms, mm. about ten kids per room. And one of the teachers actually stood out to still, I think about, I actually emailed him, funny, yeah, a couple of weeks ago because I interviewed a couple of members from Fat Freddy's Drop and he actually introduced me to Fat Freddy's mm. at age, I would have been about nine when Based on a True Story came out mm. and we would listen to this album and I remember thinking, what, this, I haven't heard music like this. I grew up listening to commercial radio because that's the only thing that the reception mm. that we got out the mm. farm so that was quite a pivotal music experience for me and I actually emailed him to let him know that I had had interviewed them and they did a shout out for him on the radio mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to include that audio clipping in there for him so yeah, it cool. felt quite full circle yeah in yeah. some ways yeah yeah. yeah yeah and so what was going on for you as a kid what were you into and what was happening in your life um quite classic pony riding yeah um yeah is we were just left to our own sort of devices outside so there was a lot of endless idyllic Kiwi yeah summer exactly stuff. i was pretty yeah. i was a bit of a dreamy kid so they had to pull me back in quite a lot um I wasn't specifically sporty, so there was quite a lot of um, encouragement from mm. my dad to sort of not be discouraged by exercising and, mm, you know, mm, mm. getting stuck in. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think that most of the things that I was interested in probably stemmed from the after-school activities that we'd, we'd go all the way into town to do swimming. and um, But, yeah, I did. I was quite arty, arty mm. sort of a kid. Um yeah, a very happy child actually. Really, really enjoyed living at the farm. That mm. was definitely, and I think it is still something that um, I identify quite closely with. Even though being from Hawke's Bay now, going back, people probably now consider me a um, a quote unquote townie. That's still yeah, a word yeah, that, yeah. that's thrown around. That so there's, it's still the family base. The yeah, same place. yeah. My brother now farms. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, it's still. Yeah, it's still very much part of that mm-hmm. family identity. So when you go back to Hawke's Bay, that's home. Still that's home. the same place. Yeah, so yeah. we moved into into Napier um, when I was a teenager, so sort of becoming a teenager, because my mum decided she wanted to study full-time to become a social worker. So mm, she mm. needed to be closer to town. And then Dad did the commute. So we still, our base is um, essentially Hawke's Bay now. Mm, mm, mm. Right, and... Um, 
And you got to, that coincides quite nicely, I suppose, with going to a, again, quote-unquote, proper high school for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I actually went to boarding school. Yeah. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Which I one? think uh, Woodford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the only way anyone from Hawke's Bay responds to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're younger than me, obviously, but, I, yeah, I mean... Well, the name Wood- says it all, doesn't it? Woodford was down the... Um, is down the road from where my folks now live. Yeah. And, um, yeah, knew a lot of people that went there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think boarding school, you know, in itself had its own um, challenges, but you found a way to work the system for you. And I, I definitely really valued being, living with my friends. Mm-mm. And school was a good time for you? You were yeah. into school? For sure. Yeah. Uh, sort of intermediate. I imagine it would be hell. Third form was horrible. Imagine school would be hell for a person not enjoying it and being a boarder. Mm-mm, totally. That, I mean, I was um, day, a day girl <laughs> and then decided actually I wanted to be a boarder. I mm. didn't like the commute. I didn't like being on the bus all the time. Uh, and, you know, you'd it was long days for, you know, a 12-year-old yeah, 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 going yeah. to school because you'd, you'd get up at 6, you'd get on the bus at 6.30, you'd get to school and you wouldn't come back until around 6.30 at night because... Um, and yeah, at so school you had to do sport after. Dinner, so. homework, bed. Yeah, so that wasn't yeah. really fun. So boarding school had its own antics. And yeah, yeah. it was when I started to really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And what sort of, uh, as, a, as an arty person, what sort of art and culture activities are, are really grabbing you as you're moving through high school? History, hugely. Yeah, I loved history. I had some pretty amazing history teachers. Uh, English and and one of our English teachers was very much, you know, a media studies teacher as well. Mm. Uh, food technology was big for me. Mm. I loved uh, that kind of creativity that came with that. Uh, and classics was really big for me. Yeah. Mm. Some, most of those kind of studies that lend themselves to a Bachelor of Arts or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So naturally that's what followed next. Yeah, so you come, what, down here for that? Or are you... I went to Otago oh, yeah. for a yeah. year. Studied anthropology, sociology, really enjoyed them, but was encouraged to move towards a Bachelor of Communications because a lot of those papers could be cross-credited to that other degree. And the weather in Dunedin, I think that vitamin D <laughs> lack of, and coming from a place that was full of sunshine, yeah, yeah. Um, had its own effects on my mental health. So I actually moved to Wellington. Mm-hmm. And been there ever since... Or yeah, much, yeah, so so I was in Wellington for about three to four years and then moved to Melbourne mm. for a year and actually got the call from Active to say, you, we see you haven't applied for this job, nudge, nudge. So I thought, okay, maybe I will. Uh, and that was something that was on my radar, doing uh, the breakfast show because, mm. one, I had done a lot of... Um, I'd done a lot of internships in radio and a lot of them were commercially based and I'd realised there wasn't enough room for women in commercial radio that sat outside of um, the gossip news column the or the sidekick. chick in the middle yeah, yeah, yeah. of two guys some who would be smacked. Some sort of sidekick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you kind of became... It, was just, it just seemed like it would be hard to get a word in. So working at a community radio station always had its appeal mm-hmm. and... That that became the reason that I returned back to Wellington. So when did you start? Like when did radio hook you in? Like 
as a listener and then as someone doing internships and stuff like has radio always been uh, I imagine in that sort of semi-remote mm. upbringing mm. the radio plays a part hugely hugely and I don't think that radio offered for me as a teenager the kinds of music that I was interested in so there was a bit of a disconnect with that but I was listening to um to uh, quite a lot of Australian radio actually mm. online mm. But when I went, moved to Dunedin, I started listening quite a lot to Radio 1. That was where I connected with the music there, and that's what kind of got me through that year in Dunedin. I'd done a lot of research into the Dunedin sound movement and was um, quite disillusioned when I got there, and it was at 1980. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I kind of thought that that was perhaps the kind of music that would be playing, because that's really the music that I loved as a right. teenager. Um, well, how did you get to that? Like, how did Well, that... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because my parents weren't... Um, you know, aren't really musically minded. Right. So that was just that was just within me somewhere. Mm, mm. But I I didn't realise but I one of my friends went to um go and fill out a form for Radio One and I had half filled it out and then when it got to the bits about yourself and I just sort of lost yeah, confidence perhaps. Mm. And I was given that form later on when I started doing the breakfast show on active and I Obviously, there had been a seed in my mind mm. um, that I hadn't quite noticed that connection for. But actually, it was my English teacher from high school who had seen a video on Facebook and could hear me commentating in the background. I Honestly, I don't know what it was. It was probably <laughs> stupid. Um, but he told one of my friends to tell me that I should do radio. And because we were all quite, you know, we all looked up to him and he was such a fantastic teacher... I took what he said quite seriously and mm. then started volunteering at Radioactive. And then, yeah, so I was so they knew you and that's why they came yeah, to you. Were, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause Active had a series, I guess, of fairly long running breakfast hosts, mm. but you know, I, I can go back three or four iterations before you mm-hmm. and they're obviously all guys. Yeah. And so they wanted to make this change clearly. You And you, you know, believed in that. Like, you didn't want to be a sidekick in a show and commercial mm. radio. Yeah, I was actually offered originally to split my paycheck with another co-host yeah. who would be male, um, to which I said no to, knowing that that could possibly mean that I wouldn't get would, a job that, at that, all. That they would ask someone else who yeah, would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought... Oh, so they wanted to create a team? Well, that, I don't know if they really minded, yeah. but that was something An that option. they thought that they yeah. could float, which was yeah. cool. And they're not like... I guess the bonus with that is if one person's away. Exactly. One person and, flies solo. And it's support in that way. And sometimes people have really nice yeah. chemistry together. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that that was something I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and maybe as well because it was the, you know, you got half the... Half the check, it didn't seem like it yeah, was probably yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like being that easy. For not quite half the work, it's always, yeah, it's yeah. always more than... Yeah, it, yeah, was, it right. was merely an idea floated at the beginning. Um, yeah. I wonder if they would think the same now, they probably wouldn't. Um, but yeah, it was really Miles Buckingham who mm-hmm. was an incredible uh, who was mentor. There for, who was there forever, right? Yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, an incredible mentor and just so... You know, it's often those people who are quietly... Um, in the background that are you, some um, of your biggest supports. Lived down the street forever too until yeah, just recently, actually. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because I, I was doing uh, a review segment on Radioactive um, on a Friday morning when Phil Reed was the breakfast host, and that was quite a while ago. Mm. And then he, when he left and Redbird took over, I did it with him for a little while. Mm. And uh, did you replace Redbird? Was there yes, someone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so so that's what I mean by like these these guys that were there, they, and obviously Lewis did it way back in the day. Like there were people that did it for a long, long time. Yeah. So from yeah. what I understand, I'm the first female yeah. solo breakfast host. Yeah. Um, there were other women who uh, presented, but yeah. they weren't. It wasn't a full time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of volunteer stuff. There's a lot of. Mm. Um, regular shows that are once a week or what it once oh, a, yeah. whatever that sort of stuff exactly but um yeah Not for that so specific show yeah, yeah 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 so what what were you i mean what were you aiming to do in life outside of radio like before this call came or before you were sort mm. of doing some semi-serious interning what was the other thing that you were going to do or, or was there no other thing uh i think i wanted to become a historian yeah, mm. but then again, saying that it's it's quite funny. I think I I'm just yes, interested. I don't in, know how anyone becomes that, but exactly, and that, that <laughs> but was, you still could, like yeah, for example. Well, like, I'm not sure, but yeah, I think you know it was either going to be um, journalism. I mean, journalism was definitely the mm-hmm. the forefront of it all. But you know, probably leaving high school was historian. Mm. Yeah, which mm. I think is quite funny now. Well, it's all it's all connected mm. like this, you know. There is an obvious link through journalism to history and vice mm. versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so what's happening in Melbourne? Melbourne was great. I worked at a spice store called Gewurz House, uh, which is a German um, was a German company run by sisters, and I did cooking classes there. And um, you know, it was it was all about experimenting with the different spices they had mm. in store. That was really fun. Uh, and that was a part-time gig, and then I did producing for a podcast, a uh, feminist podcast for a smaller radio station there, and learnt um, the ropes of producing through a radio station called Sin, which was a youth station for 18 to 25-year-olds, and some younger than 18, and that was a fabulous resource. It was kind of it was a national frequency. They had two different stations. So one was mm. like a full national frequency supported for youth radio, which is something we, you could never imagine to have in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a Melbourne-based uh, frequency as well that um, our station was in charge of, which was great. And it was totally led by youth and a really, really interesting yeah, opportunity for me to sort of meet a lot of people in the music community and arts community, mm. and it was a great base for me. Mm. And so you might have still been there if you hadn't got that call. Mm. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps, you know, maybe not, but certainly for a bit longer. I, yeah, I certainly, it was certainly one of the most difficult decisions to leave yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, I had such a fabulous base there, and... Um, yeah, just, just amazing, surrounded by really beautiful people. But I guess there's a... Um, like, as a human being, there's an ego hit around being headhunted too, right? Instantly. Like, yeah, well, I wouldn't call it headhunted. I think it was... I think it was Miles. <laughs> I think it was Miles that... Um, yeah. Because he, like, he so truly backed me. Right. Um, that gave me confidence to, you know... And I realised once then, once I got there, that actually 
a lot of the station um, did as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't um, I don't think I truly like sort of let myself think that that could be an option. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I was just meaning like in terms of it's hard not to consider it when mm. someone is basically saying, well, however you want to phrase it, but someone is basically mm. saying, you know, you would be a great candidate for this. We we would like you to come and consider this. Mm-mm. And then so that, that, as hard as the decision is, that's obviously in your mind the whole time. Well, if I turn it down, you know, that's fine if I've got something good going on, but why would I turn that down if people are actively calling out for me yeah yeah, yeah yeah you know and so you come back and do it and yes. that's and that's what you're doing and that's what you've been doing for and how long is it now like it's yeah i think it's two and a half yeah. years maybe a little bit yeah. longer yeah i was gonna say three years but it's mm. not quite but um and you i mean paint a picture for people i mean you, you know you said you've got obviously some producing experience and you've gathered all sorts of different experience from interning but you know i was interested i knew this happened but when i came in and met you the other week I was interested, you're kind of a one-stop shop. You're a one-person operator in there. You are your own producer mm. and your own engineer and you're the host. And so you meet the guests and you have to, in some cases, warm the guest up uh, and then you're in there, but you're also, like, going through your notes for the next thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's cool because you, you know the um, intricacies of it all, whereas... I think a lot of people are surprised when they come through mm. the door and the interview's happening and I'm running and making them a coffee and then the song's about to finish and then, oh my gosh, um, flicking to the news, reading out the news <laughs> and I'll be with you in a second, yeah. and, you know. Amazing. Uh, Your morning must just fly by. It really does. Yeah. And it runs off Every adrenaline. Day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I often find, uh, you know, post-show, I'm a, like either hyper yeah. or quite like depleted. It just yes. depends. There's like quite a... Quite a drastic, draining, yeah. yeah there's draining. quite a drastic um, difference in yeah. you know the the person that walks in the door to the person that leaves. I bet because um, you know, like I've I've talked on a few different radio stations over the years, as usually as some sort of guest or contributor, um, and obviously I've done a lot of stuff up at Radio New Zealand. True, and. Um, you know, there it's different. Like obviously, I go and a producer meets me takes me into the does all of those things offers me a drink runs through any notes if i need them makes me feel comfortable if i need to obviously i'm used to it now but Mm -hmm. i've also done that as a film producer there and had to do that for guests and then an engineer through the glass uh, you know will do the mic test if it's needed and rah 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 and then you'll either meet the host and go through some talking points quickly if they're there or if it's like with when I talk to Jesse, he's in Auckland. Mm, yeah, uh, actually that, that part of it's really was really jarring for me when I first went on RNZ. Um, and, you know, someone... In oh, Auckland, talking to someone who's not there. Yeah, someone talking, <laughs> yeah, talking to someone in Auckland yeah. um, through the headphones. And that felt, you know, really jarring and disorienting. And mm. I think, you know, there was, you know, you could think you'd be prepared for all of it but we don't we don't we don't have cross live crossovers like that we you know we have telephone calls yeah and things like that that are live but you know that kind of crossover cross country was um was something that i really had to wrap my head around i thought was quite interesting well it's yeah i mean it's everything is different like every type of thing you do is different every radio you know every radio station does it a little differently and stuff but also like you know when you've got someone on the phone it can drop out 
they can they cannot realise that they've got really you know they're coming across really badly on the, like reception wise. Mm-hmm. So you have all these live variables, right? That you just have to. Yeah, and I can't say how many times you'll call someone and they will just be on the train or they yeah. will be, you know, Julia Dean's the other day started walking up a hill and it was windy and it was Auckland, <laughs> you know, and talking to someone who is like mm. your childhood idol and telling them to get out of the wind, please. Yeah, yeah. Because the radio audio is bad, didn't yeah. feel like the right thing to say. Yes. But, you know, even, you know, the, some of the best musicians in New Zealand don't consider that actually um, that's going to be pretty difficult for the audience yeah. at home trying yeah. to tune in, that, that, it, that people become frustrated by audio that isn't yeah. of a high standard yeah. when they're used to hearing high standards. Yeah, and a, dro- a, a significant drop in quality during an interview. Mm. As, you know, on one level, you've maybe you've hooked people in and they want to hear, mm. sure, but really, like, when it actually... Cause, I mean, I, I recently did a um, RNZ thing when I was in Taupo uh, in the middle of the year, and... Um, I was in a hotel room or whatever and my phone didn't sound very good so they were able to you know they've got tricks so they cut to the song mm-hmm. early and then someone comes on the phone line and says well the song's playing you know you need to move mm. we, lo- we lost the end of that that doesn't sound very good and it was just about snowing freezing in winter and I had to go outside and stand on the on the sort of balcony deck of where I was and uh, and pretend like it was you know <laughs> That's right. Pretend like it was warm <laughs> and it was freezing. And, uh, yeah, it's just funny. Like, everything's going to be a bit different. So how do you, I mean, and what, what's your overall approach? How do you handle that? Like, I guess you just have to address it when it comes up, right? And yeah, I think I've learnt to be a bit more direct. I think, yeah, one of the bits of advice that I got quite early on from one of my friend's friends, I met her having dinner and I didn't expect to meet someone that had... You know, I didn't know that was like listening, mm. and she was really um, frustrated with me mm. because I had interviewed someone who was, you know, in their fifties, a, a male who just dominated me. You know, this quite early on, just totally walked all over me, and she was incredibly frustrated because she had built up this, you know, idea of this person in her head who had held their ground, you know, in Mm. some situations and sort of, you know, mildly respected in some way. And then just to hear that person be, you know, um, she said she found that really frustrating and she kind of growled me. Wow. Um, And that that let me know that actually being assertive um, isn't, you know, isn't necessarily an offensive thing. No. It isn't necessarily rude. It's just asking someone to meet well, you with the same level of respect, especially if you've spent a lot of time putting in the research and, yeah, yeah. and doing that work. And you're very excited about it, and it's important for you as well, you know? You, you kind of work for the listener mm. in, in that way. Like, mm. you, you go into... That's, how, that's the unspoken thing, I think, with radio, is that you're going into bat for the listener. So if you don't you know control it and shut someone down they're sitting there in their car or walking wherever in their headphones basically saying that's right basically and maybe (laughs) sending an angry text or an email in perhaps or or just or thinking that they might when they get to their destination but they're basically saying why didn't you do this you know why didn't you ask this and and they're doing it in a and actually a lot of the time they're actually doing it in a fairly constructive way too that Mm. they want you to 
you know, not just you, whoever it is, but they want you to, to do the work for them. Yes. That's the interesting, I think, that's the interesting relationship thing that happens with radio. Totally, and in many ways, uh, because we don't have, you know, because we're community-based, mm. and the the feedback that I get is direct in those in those kinds of pockets. I'm acting as a mirror for the for the city, for Wellington, and I have to take in those that kind of feedback into account. So when I'm, you know, even playing a specific song, I'm trying mm. to touch a piece of, you know, that music or arts community. When I'm interviewing someone, I'm trying to get that person listening in the car directly interested mm. and engaged mm. in that. Um, so and, and at some point you're touching the listener in a way at least once throughout the show. Like that's yep. definitely a very important thing for me to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, feedback is definitely... Definitely been an interesting part of the job. How do you sure. handle it? Because, but before you answer that, I wanted to say that um, people, of course, have a whole relationship with just your voice. There are people that don't know what you look like, mm. that don't meet you, mm. and then there are the different levels of that. Obviously, someone who comes into the studio mm. for an interview might be a fan of the show, and then they meet you, mm. and, but they meet you in the context of, well, this is work, I'm promoting something, or you're asking me about something. Um, but when you're out and about, wherever... Uh, have you been recognised by voice, for instance, or to, you know oh, introduced only, to someone? Only and then... by voice, not by um, not by face. No, but that's what I mean. You've been recognised yeah, by voice, and, then, by and voice. then they're putting the face to the voice. Yeah, yeah. And often not. Often they'll be like, it, you know, it, it's kind of random. It's just like in the mm. shop or something, um, and someone will say, "Oh, your voice sounds familiar." Do I know you? And I just say no. <laughs> Do you? you don't. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, well, I know yeah. it's not like a, I'm actually the. Bri- <laughs> yeah, because what, <laughs> yeah. if, what if I, what if they didn't what, actually what, recognize yeah, me? What yeah, if they yeah, don't yeah. listen like yeah. this? Oh my gosh. That, that would be way more crushing. shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I don't know. But voice is an interesting one. Mm. Um, yeah, you've got, you know, there's a lot of people that, um, that I have talked to over the years, and I think the people also don't you know one of the unique things about um our radio station is you can call in and talk to the dj and that has Mm. left its own really unique challenges Mm. um and you know there's no because i don't have a producer there's no one to filter through that message and so if you pick up the phone and someone is heated you know yeah you're dealing with it in the moment oh yeah, yeah and especially when i began that job i had an unbelievable amount of negative feedback which was really difficult to at the mere fact that you were new, or that I was new, yeah, yeah. at the yeah. the changing of the guard, yeah. and it was the same few callers that would come in, and you know, like their num- their numbers started to pop up, and and they yeah. started to you know use their partner to, and it was really you know pretty toxic. Wow. Um, and you know, many of them were women, which was interesting in itself, um, because I do believe that the former host had a following of you know. Um, woman that really just adored him and that you know that's natural what whatever gender you are you're going to have the opposite mm. effect so um you know a lot of the callers that i have are sort of middle-aged um men who are passionate about music and want to talk to music uh want to talk to me about music with me about music gosh mm. <laughs> um and you know some of them a lot of them are single fathers who whether or not um, they've out specifically said it, they have been, you know, I'm the female voice in the morning mm. Mm. with their kids 
I've had people bring their kids in to meet me because they listen in every morning. They call me on Christmas Day. You're, you're part of their day and you will, you never really truly know if no one cares or someone is, is there is actually invested in your voice. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people aren't invested. Mm. But those that are really do stand out because their stories are quite unique and often quite, you know, there's quite a lot of depth in those conversations when someone calls you up on the phone mm. regularly. You know, I have people that I've never met who've been calling me for the last two and a half years, mm. once a week just to check in. Yeah, it's it's crazy, isn't it? Like, it's a, it's, it's a whole set of relationships going on that you're actually a very passive part of you and you don't know how intricate it is behind the scenes for these people it's not your job to but you're an you become an important part in there yeah and there's a line like how yes. much are you going to you know how much are you going to be giving because yeah. in a way you make you know there's there's a special part of your their your their day that you're a part of but you know where does that stop i've always been interested anytime i have anything to do with someone on radio particularly rnz at the moment i'm just thinking very recently just last weekend i was doing a poetry event and lynn freeman was um chairing it and i know lynn she's excellent you know at her job and um and a nice person but whenever i mentioned her name i would say probably four out of five people were like how old is she? What does she look like? You know, and j- just just in the sense that that's a voice I know, mm. and I need the picture filled out, you know, and, it's and ha- yeah, and to me as a as a listener of Lynn Freeman, she's mm. got this very you know comforting voice. Yes, to me. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. She's like one of she's just a, she's just great at radio and has been for a long time. And I always describe her to people, and I never mean this. Uh, in any patronising way at all, but just as an extraordinary safe pair of hands and that mm. and that she's a utility player. Like she will fill in for other shows and and you and won't notice a, Yeah, you them. won't notice a drop in quality and that's incredible. It's incredibly succinct and yeah. you know, as she sounds like someone without much of an ego. Yeah. She and I mean those are all the things that I'm taking for as a listener of her. Yeah. But Mm, yeah, it is. It is. It's just a, it's just really interesting. You know, people want to know what these voices look like to complete the picture. Mm. But then almost it's uh, you know, I quite like not knowing. But I, mm. I, I, you know, I worked for years transcribing radio, mm-hmm. and you get your and that you get your own relationship with these hosts because you're kind of studying how they put a show together. Mm. And the first thing you do when you've listened to them for more than a day or two is. Google search them to see what they look like to, you know, whoever it is, just to complete the picture. It's just a natural thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I guess that's what the person's doing when they ask that question. But it's just, stra- you know. Yeah, and what was what else was strange? You know, there's so much of this that, like, you're not really prepared for. Uh, but I guess those that, you know, go to broadcasting school probably have some more, you know, something else to, to mm. go off. Mm. But... When I first began doing shifts at Radioactive as a volunteer, it would be the drive show, and that would finish at around 7 o'clock, and then I did the top 11 show, and that would finish more like around 9 o'clock. So there were several experiences that I had at night that would be quite jarring. People would call in with having full mental health crisis, Mm. and you would have to talk people around. 
and they just that you were just a familiar voice and mm. you weren't a name known to them it, you were a phone you know you were a yeah, conversation yeah. yeah and that to me was really interesting that because we're so community we have got that direct um, line to the community yes that we had i had some really interesting experiences mm. um that i wasn't prepared for and that itself has led me into becoming really passionate about mental health and trying to become better at articulating mm. some of the challenges that face people mm. um there's an amazing organization at wellington called code liberate and they offered for me to do their mental health first aid certificate which was really great so they put me through that and that was a two-day course of really intense uh, analysis into you know some of the situations that happen when people were having a, um, a mental health crisis and mm. like how to deal with that and you know noticeably the next week one of those phone calls came through and I was able to you know point that person in the right place but also felt that I could in some ways um, de-escalate that situation that phone call mm. um, which in, in itself is quite unique to think that your, ex- your radio host is maybe experiencing that yeah well I mean you you said a wee while ago about how and the way you described it I think is is um consistent with with anyone really working in the industry particularly doing the sort of work you're doing like like a regular show Mm. um that there are absolute highs and lows in terms of your own feeling when you've completed Mm. i did a week of producing um karen hayes evening show and i think i was talking to you about this actually off air active like i was doing like live crosses to people in England and I was a brand new person to that and so it was thrilling but it was freaky and at the end of the week I don't you know I don't think you know I felt like I'd been training for some ultrathon you know mm. I came home here and just collapsed into the couch and you know it was midnight and I was exhausted I felt way more exhausted than any other week in my life Especially because you've got a national audience tuning in. I mean, that, they that kind know, of pressure does... Totally. And they didn't know I was there, obviously. No, no one knew I was doing it. But that, in a way... Uh, that weighed on you. Well, you know, what's my job in that instance is to make things go smoothly for the host. And the host is going to nail it because, in this case, particularly, it's Karen Hay and she's excellent. Um and I think everyone that's hosting full-time at RNZ is excellent at what they do. That's why they're there. Um, but, you know, she's particularly excellent and she can work on uh, fewer notes than many other people and so forth. But your job is, 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 you know, really egoless in the sense that you're just making them do their job smoothly. So if you fuck it up, <laughs> you're the first against the wall, as you deserve to be. Mm. And so that threat... <laughs> is hanging on you but you've got that the whole time and you're the and you're the the voice i was going to say the face of the operation but you're the (laughs) voice of the operation so how have you handled that yourself you know the toll Mm. on your mental health let alone dealing with other people's Mm -hmm. uh, crises yeah i guess uh yeah at the start it was it was truly difficult and but the rewards are just so huge you know the rewards come every second or third day. There's always something, someone new to talk to and some kind of conversation that shifts your perspective 
on the way that you think or you know some of the ways that you see the world and just being able to have conversations with people like mm. that just makes everything everything change mm. and everything truly worth it being able to have conversations with you know with people who are truly experts in their field that otherwise you would not be able to access mm. and who would never reply to your emails you know had you not had a platform for them to to speak on mm. is what makes this job so special equally you know when you find out oh you've got it you've had a guest on um that's been on you know an rnz show that same week or or maybe you beat them to the punch mm-hmm. those are the kinds of things that are also quite exciting yeah, yeah. for someone who is um you know new to the industry and is who's got a whole lot of passion to start with Mm-hmm. And and you know you referenced before talking to someone like Julia Dean, so someone whose music you know you mm-hmm. maybe you maybe grew up with, you know, like I mean I'm I'm thinking about this because you referenced it, but I mean it was a different couch, but basically Jonah's policewoman sat where you are and mm-hmm. talked to me, mm-hmm. and I kind of went, you know, this is amazing, this is happening, like it's great, and I know I can do it, but um, that you know I didn't know that was going to happen the mm-hmm. other day, like until that was confirmed, and you feel like it's a bit of a shot in the dark, and so when it comes off, mm. it's fantastic, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, and how have you? How have you? Do you think you've developed the show in your time there? Yeah, I think like at the start of the yeah when I first took over the job what I wanted to do was have a mirror as I said before of Wellington so that would be you know the aim would be to try and source some of the issues that were happening right here in the city and show that back to the audience I had a conversation with um Gouled Meyer a year before to the to the date of the Christchurch terror attacks talking about the racism that the Muslim community faced here and the things that he was saying were absolutely harrowing. That still is the most listened to interview I've ever done. Mm. And that was before the terror attacks. So people were were really engaged with that narrative um, before that tragedy. And I think that showed that that was happening right here in Wellington and people knew about it and people were wanting to not shy away from that kind of story Mm. so it was yeah in in ways I was trying to to put communities on the radio that um that I hadn't heard through Radioactive specifically and tried to change that format I was criticized for it um, by some of the active stalwarts because some of them wanted, um, you know, a show that was uh, that was more music focused. But uh, but I know that you know I don't identify as a DJ and I don't claim to be a music expert mm-hmm. in any way. So that that way that I kind of differentiated myself and and the show has become, you know, in no way is it a current affairs show, but it's become more, um, in some ways, more newsy focused and more current than it was uh, before. Before it was more of a connection point to the community and the local happenings of 
um, the arts and, and music scene of the week. Um, well, well, it was a gig guide with some reviews and some music. Really, yeah. Really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Mm. You know, at, at one point, wasn't it? Yeah. And there, were, there was a there was some there was some politics. Um, yeah. 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 Segments in there sure, as well. Sure. But really, but you've you've changed it because. Also, it still, as a station, exists to play a lot of music. So mm. why have every show being 100% music focused? You know, it's a nice shift. Yeah, and I think that interviewing is, is a real passion of mine as well. So making sure that I'm, into, and I'm engaged, I'm stimulated. And who have, you, who have you kind of looked to for that or learnt from? Or, you know, what, what have you processed? in terms of people that are very good at that or or very bad at that mm. so one of my early mentors um, was Alex Bean, uh who worked uh, as the Music 101 host of um, Radio Zealand and um, Radio Hodaki and I interned under him originally at Hodaki and you know he was a really big um, inspiration to me as a young person in radio and Zan Rowe um, of Triple J and now Double J, she was a massive influence for me specifically when I lived in Melbourne. And Catherine Ryan is, I listen to her um, daily. Mm. And she actually met up with me before I moved to Melbourne and gave me some really incredible advice and wow. was really generous with her time. Um, That's awesome. And I've taken a lot from her um, as a listener, and she was, yeah, she was incredibly, incredibly patient with me, and and the questions that I was asking. Yeah, one of my all-time favourite things about spending any time in the Radio New Zealand office and studio is watching Catherine Ryan come in and out from her segments. It is literally a case of, you know. You know the old school cliche of like the talk show host that the mic goes off and they start swearing and ranting and rowing. you know, she's not that, but it's that same divide of like game face versus like just mm. on and off, the on mm. and off switch. It's incredible to watch though, because it's like she does these detailed, focused, intense interviews about current topics and a broad range of topics across a three hour show. And then she walks out and cracks a joke deals with someone, checks some emails, and then heads, you know, has a slurp of tea, mm. and then heads straight back to do it again after a few, while the news is being read. And I know that's her job, and, you know, it wouldn't have been like that on day one, and all of that, but it's still pretty amazing to watch. She's incredibly hard to be, and I think that sh- there's some, there's something to be said for knowing something about everything, and, mm. you know, decades of, of doing this kind of work she is incredibly connected with what is going on. And I did remember her saying to me, you know, I was so thankful for her giving me time and, and just mm. consistently probably saying that and being quite irritating. Uh, and she said, oh, don't think of um, think of this as you doing, you know, me doing you a favour. You're doing me a favour because it's important for me to, to know what, how young people think. Mm. You know, mm. she was. She sees. She, she was seeing that as an opportunity herself. Was an equal opportunity, which made she, me. Yeah. F- yeah. Question the whole experience. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I wonder. I mean, it's possibly not for you to comment, but I was thinking, like, do you have any gauge at all on 
where the RNZ's got their eye on you, got their ear to the ground on you, and when they're going to, you know, when you might one day receive the call from them that you got from Active, like, are you considering applying for this role? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I have no idea, Mm, yeah. mm, I guess that's probably best. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like it's in the post. Um, And so, and what about doing, like, you know, what's your your sort of prep routine for an interview? Mm. Uh, Obviously, it's different almost each time within reason but do you have a regular sort of way you go about it 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 truly depends on who i'm talking to and some of that research has already begun a while ago you know Mm. you find these kinds of well because i'm doing i'm reading the news in the morning and um i'm I'm kind of up to date with what's going on in the world Mm -hmm. In a, in a vague sense and then coincidentally I'll have an interview booked that happens to be about something that happened on Monday and it's now Wednesday and so I'm, I'm already uh, you know the mm-hmm. process has already begun in mm. some ways uh, and then there are people that I seek out to talk to mm. who you know are really really interesting me and in that way the, the process has already begun but I think just reading as much as I can and, you know, the idea of you're only as good as you are prepared does always follow me around. Mm. And I think I learned that from all of those three people that I mentioned earlier that mm. I mm. Um, that I looked to for to learn how to broadcast. Yeah, so I, I guess it's just doing as much research as I can with the, you know, within the parameters of knowing how much how much time I can give to something, you know, how much I'm getting paid to do something and how much energy I have um, to do it. Mm. So those, all of those things come into play. Mm. Um, so I've been doing a little bit of freelance journalism and I'm willing to read a lot more and um, often because, you know, writing is can be such a... Yeah, it, it, mm. it can take so much of you. I was going to bring that up. I was going to say, how have you? How has that happened for you that you've morphed into doing some freelance work? And has that always been on your mind to do? And mm. yeah. yeah, so uh, I yeah, I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to write little pieces, and I and I really like to talk. And, you know, put my opinion and attach it to things like that because I think I'm so used to doing that in my daily life but separating that from my role as a host. Mm. So trying to find that in between to me is always something that I'm interested in doing. And I think I stopped wanting to do, to really write and do freelance journalism because I didn't want to necessarily, uh, I didn't want people necessarily to know what I thought before I would go into things and I knew that that would probably jeopardise some of the some of the ways that I um, conducted journalism through broadcasting. Mm. But I've realised that you don't actually have to, you know, compromise all of that to, yeah, and enjoy writing. And I've recently been working with Claire Maybe from Verb. Mm. And she is an incredible role model um, to me as a woman because she, you know, she's a partner and she's also a mother and she started this incredible festival um, from nothing mm. in the city that, you know, has um, Verb Festival and Lit Crawl 
She's also a juggler of yeah. various side hustles too, as a lot of people need to be. Yeah, so. and she's aware that um, that that space, you know, needs to diversify, and and she's she really endorses other women. So <laughs> it's not just, um, you know, it's not just that. I I've I've seen the effects of it from myself. She passes my name on to people all the time, and I and I get offers to write things, and and now I've found that it's fully a part time job for me. So. You know, doing 20 hours of radio a week and now 20 hours of writing a week, I've got myself a full time journalism job that I, yeah. I didn't think that I wasn't able to do when I started a radioactive at all and um, was often trying to juggle lots of other jobs to try and, you know, pay the rent. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were on deadline this morning which is why you had to change yeah. uh the time that you came around here which is absolutely fine but you said to me i might find that interesting so what have you been working on most recently north and south um of course have just relaunched know, yeah relaunched yeah yeah I, I didn't buy it but i picked up and had a good skim of the first issue mm. and i will return and get it i was pleased to see it back on the shelf yeah i'm really interested in the way that they formatted it as well mm. uh the article is about market or press oh right yeah cool who published your book was well, it Cuba press they were cute, the same it's the same people but yeah. yeah they've got two press uh two two different titles they've got Macro press and cuba press yeah so yeah. cuba press published your book yes yeah mm. yeah so i went to visit um mary, mary and paul yeah and paul in anvil house uh last week and we had a great corridor about their business model and how they have been publishing some fabulous books mm. specifically the article is about um Aue and victory Def- park yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i can yeah. see that book actually on your bookshelf yeah i haven't read it yet i've been i started it it's remarkable Be- becky was going to come around and do the podcast and i was i started it and then she messaged me because she was pretty burnt out with um mm. appearances and things and so when she said, oh, look, can we do that another time? Um, I took my foot off the gas and went to whatever the next, you know, I'm like, well, I'll read something else because I'll ask someone else to come around. That's I know what you mean. So, yeah, so that happens a lot of a the bit. books that I've been reading have yeah. been research, you know, for yeah. research purposes. Yeah. It doesn't change the enjoyment factor. No. But it changes how fast you have to read it and that's when it. you can decide yeah. to read it. And what I've done before with um, podcast guests that have a book or a new book, say I'm across their other stuff and they have a new book, I've actually, sometimes I'll back myself to read it the night before they come round, like, you know, because it's a good way to have it completely fresh in your mind. Mm. Uh, or I might have started it. And I'll, Are you I'll quite a fast reader? I can be. Yeah, I can be. I think it totally, deli- uh, I think it depends on how good the work is and how interested you are in the work. I've, mm. Some books are great, but they take me ages. I, I genuinely even... believe that, um, that, Becky's book is one of the best I've ever read. I, I was reduced to tears. It's on my, it's definitely one of my summer reads yeah. this year. Like I'm going to read it. Even if I never get to talk to a media, I'm going to read it. Like mm. I'm interested in it anyway. Like mm. I, I went out and bought it as a um, thing to read, not as, not as just research, but you know, as happens with this kind of blur, mm. <laughs> it's like, if I do get to talk to her, that's great too. And I'm sure it, it, it'll have the potential to happen one day. Um, but yeah, so things get shoved back in the queue a little bit for me. It's the same with some albums, you know. Mm-hmm. You push them back because someone's coming around, or you know, I've been reading. I've been reading a lot of poetry lately because that's why those books are there. Just a random 
bunch of books that I've got. I used to read poetry books all the way through, mm-hmm. and now I'm trying to like dip in and out to get a few different voices. So some of these I've been reading for, you know, a month or two, and I haven't. How to be happy though, human is really good, eh? Um, Kate I just book. Bought, I just bought yeah, it. That's like, fabulous. Yeah, it's it's up there. I bought it this week, so that's I really haven't. Good. I mean, I know her work, and I know it's got some of her earlier mm. work in it, so I'll know some of the poems already. But I actually bought that. I think earlier this week mm. or last week. Yeah, and do you fi- did you find that at the beginning of your career that you weren't, you know, treading water to, to, you know, be current and try and stay up to date with it? Or do you think that that's a product of the fact that, mm. you know, today the 24-hour news cycle and, and the pressures to be publishing? I think I'm mostly just wrestling with the fact that you use the word career. Um that's, <laughs> I'm stuck on that because uh, I've never really had a career. Um, but yes, it's I, I, I sort of think how did I used to get things done easier? And I think like the two um, blames in my life, are, if I had to have them, are being a father and, and social media. And I think most people who do things are, well, many people who do things are parents. So when I say blame, I, I love hanging out with my son and I don't. Blame him on that, or but it's him? <laughs> no. But it's a time. It's a time. It is a time suck. Yeah. And but social media is a far bigger time suck, and that's self-induced. That's a, a, a void you fall down into, and you convince yourself that it's uh, networking and work and research, and it, and it is. It can be all of those things, but it can also just be a chronic mm. time suck. And I think. I watch a lot of documentaries, I watch a lot of film, and I can combine that with social media. But you can't read while you're scanning the internet for other things. You can't put your nose in a book. So it, it has slowed me down a bit. But I still read quite quickly. I still read a lot of things. Mm. But I do. I have crossed over some time ago into that realm of I start more books than I finish. And that's okay, it, but it took a while to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to really persevere with well, I'm going to finish this book and now I'll actually just jettison ones that I know aren't going well. Yeah. But then sometimes sometimes a big break and you start the book again and you really like it. There's that too. So. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, there are too many books for me to, you know, gamble on. Mm. Yeah, which is an interesting position that we have with just with fiction. We write a lot in New Zealand. There are a lot of published authors. There are a lot of books for a small country. There's a lot. I mean, there are pretty good turnouts at literary festivals and things usually, but there are a lot of festivals too. And I don't, you know, it doesn't. In the scheme of things, it doesn't translate to a hell of a lot of book sales for very many people. There are um, each year. There's a new success, like Mm -hmm. Becky Manawatu's, is a new, really, you know, extraordinary literary success, and it seems to me that it's entirely come from hard work and talent um, and the other book that i'm talking about the other call as well mm. is um victory park yeah which i haven't got to have yet got but i'm no i'm looking forward to that i've heard nothing but good things about that it's fabulous yeah everyone's everyone's um no one's really said anything too bad about that book mm. which is cool yeah and no, it's that's... more of a novella size so mm. you can no i was looking at it yesterday i was in yeah. unity books and i picked it up and i was like you know it's one of those things that's like well that's coming home with me soon mm. but i kind of like to sort of court the bookshop and you know i enjoy the time in there now and i like to because you because you do a lot of browsing online and you because you can access anything you can get these things you know i go to the library i get books um i do like to it's become a bit of a ritual to spend a good chunk of time in the 
I might have a podcast on in my headphones, sure, or some music, but it's a nice chill-out time to spend heaps of time in the bookshop and, you know, sort of line up a bit of a list in my head of, of the hits that I'm going to undertake when I next go in there. And that's been that's been happening a lot this year. And uh, the return to poetry really is just because I hadn't read that much for a wee while, so... I've been reading familiar things, so I'm trying to trying to get new voices, trying to read people I haven't yeah. either haven't read for ages or haven't heard of before. You know, and you find some really cool things. Like this book here is amazing. And um How's your book going? Well it's fine I think. I mean I, I, it's, it exists and I like it and I think people like it and I think it's sold. I haven't really asked many questions beyond that. You know, it just it's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm really, and I'm not I'm not trying to be uh, aloof on purpose mm-hmm. or for false modesty or anything. I sincerely hope it sells. I would love to get to a point where they message me or I bump into them and they say, "Hey, guess what? We're planning to reprint your book." That would be amazing. That yeah, I think, would be. I think that's what anyone wants. But I'm also very realistic that I wrote a book of poetry. I also wrote a book that um, maybe not what some people think is poetry. And that, um, you know, some people don't spend money on books and uh, some people get enough of me online so they don't need to buy the book. So so maybe it won't, you know, maybe it won't reach that stage and that that doesn't mean it's a failure either. So I'm just, I'm just happy it exists. Yeah. And, and the fact that you've been able to pull it off. Yeah. And... 2020 is impressive. Well, someone said to me the other day, I caught up with someone and they said, what have you been up to? And I said, not much. And then she said, oh, you, but you wrote a book. And I said, well, I published a book. I sort of think with poetry it's a bit different. Like, you know, most of the things in that book came from last year and the year before and in some cases a few years before that. So it was more pulling it, you know. But again, I don't know, it's that funny sort of apology thing we have where you kind of have to downplay the, you know, I sort of had to instantly go, well, I didn't really write a book. I published it. Someone published it for me. It exists. But actually, yeah, sure, okay, I, I wrote a book. That's also cool. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's there. I don't know. I don't think it's being reviewed um, by anyone, and I don't know if it will be, and that's also okay as well. But if it is, that, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I got to talk on Radioactive. I got to meet you. I got to um, talk on RNZ about it. Those are things that I didn't think would happen. Yeah, fabulous. You know, God, I mean, you know, there are small windows for these things. Mm-hmm. And I got to, and I, I'm aware that I got to do that maybe because there are other things that I've done and I've been around for a bit and people have heard of me and maybe people just thought it was fucking bizarre that I'd done a book of poems. And so I, I get that, but it's pretty cool that I was able to get it mentioned, get mm-hmm. it heard, get it seen. Yeah, it's a nice thing to be involved in. Books are cool, you know. I'm just a fan of books. You you obviously are too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so you're looking to. So what are you doing for Verb? Twenty hours a week. Oh, uh, so so not specifically for Verb, but but just the combination ge- yeah, yeah. of work that has come through from well, north and south as well. Yeah, and, yeah. So um, so I was just writing uh, little sort of pieces for them online about bookshops in Wellington specifically mm. and interviewing the owners of those bookshops and because of the new ones the that have popped like good books and stuff the new ones that have popped up yeah, yeah food court yeah that's cool which is really great and there are some great secondhand um book owning stalwarts mm. in Wellington who 
have really interesting stories to tell. So that's been um, it's quite did exciting. Did you go and see Don out at Bookhaven? No. You've got to go and he makes um he bakes bread and take puts it in the shop for customers and stuff. And I found out I don't think he actually eats any of it himself Aww. ever, but he bakes. We're doing a reading there next month and um, right. we did one last year and we did a Cuba Press one and I think this year it's a few other people, I'm pretty sure. Um it's not just Cuba Press. But last year it was Cuba Press Poets and um yeah, anyway we're doing a reading there and, and he sent every poet home with a little gift bag of baking. It's awesome. It's such a it's a cool shop as well. And I, I met Sam Ducker Jones the other day. We were doing this reading together, and I was talking to him about it because I think he's doing the reading at Bookhaven, and he was telling me he used to work there, so he had heaps of stories about how the baking has always been a thing, mm. which I thought was very cool. So cool. Yeah, yeah. So what do you want? To, how long, you know? What's the shelf life for you with radioactive? Have you thought about like how you know? People do these jobs, I think, like, well, I talk to Jesse Mulligan all the time, and he's been in that role for five years or so now. And um, I remember, I mean, I actually spoke to him for this podcast, and he kind of basically said he had no... Um, yeah, I mean... I mean he just I wanted was, to keep doing it, like yeah, he had no... I, yeah, when I was interning at Hauraki, I remember that was when Jesse Mulligan was, was looking for a job and, mm. you know, knocking on this that radio station's door. Yeah. And, and I mean, now he's Everywhere. incredibly busy yeah 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 he's emceeing he's yeah, you know TV. on television yeah. he's, he's a radio host he's he's yeah. writing and i think i think um he probably knows that you know he's giving it he's giving it his all yeah yeah, yeah. and and there's you know it'll just depend on on how his you know how all he, of his commitments yeah, and what, yeah, what yeah. he has to how much he can commit and but what do he you wants to commit. But do you think about, outside of that, do you think about what the shelf life is for a person in a, you know, like what you can give to the radioactive show? Like, mm. you know, does it need to be changed up in a couple of years' time? Mm. Are you the person to change it up again? Or do you think, well, you know, what sort of, do you think at all at this stage, what sort of state you want to leave it in? I mean, it's mm. probably not been long enough yet. Yeah, I, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I want to do um, before I leave is is be fairly fluent in Te Reo Māori that's a that's a real passion for me mm. and as long as I can broadcast um, I'm going to have access to um, speaking the language and um, that holds me to account to learn it um, so that for me uh, that's what I want to leave the station with is is more Te Reo Māori and on the station mm. there, it wasn't being spoken um, widely at all Mm. on the radio station and mm. and um you know the the flow and effect of using it every day is that um other hosts have started picking it up and um that's not that's not from me um as much as it has been of, of you know everybody in New Zealand media picking up their game mm, mm. um and for me that is something that I'd like to I'd like to upskill in um majorly before mm. I before I leave the station um and a shelf life, I guess, yeah, I guess I haven't thought to, I, I guess I want to feel like I'm worthy of um, of the job before I leave, mm, yeah, mm, and that itself has, you know, has, it's still to be proven to me. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm. Um, I was thinking about how um, you are, uh, entering into a phase now with doing quite a bit of freelancing as well as radio and everything you were talking about there in terms of 
learning and integrating te reo and um, just the research that it requires and obviously reading books to interview authors or publishers or whatever is a you know are you what do you do to decompress from all of this it sounds like you're entering that dangerous sphere that i know very well where your work is your hobby and your hobby is your work yeah and i think that that's and it's fun there's a good component to that yeah (laughs) that's a really great point Uh, i do quite a bit of yoga um probably not enough of it um and in the summer i bike to work that's quite good (laughs) Mm, mm. uh yeah i think Mm. I I used to run poetry classes um, and that was a really great way to decompress because that was um, that was a great way to put, put pen to paper and I find whenever I'm sort of at the brink of um, not being able to cope with something that's going on in my life I turn to poetry um, so but that, that turns out to be poetry that's you know that shouldn't probably be the way that I should write poetry either you know <laughs> but anyway that's a coping mechanism for me what do you mean uh well yeah I just I often only write poetry when things aren't going well right yeah which yeah. is which is yeah. a pattern yeah I've seen yeah mm. yeah okay mm. but you know I'm not writing poetry at the moment so I think I'm I was just gonna say so <laughs> that's the good thing about identifying the pattern yeah but right? actually reading <laughs> reading has become a huge um yeah, a huge decompressor in a mm. way because, like you say, you can't multitask um, while doing that. I mean, even just my flatmates were sitting down to watch a, a TV series the other night and, you know, half of them watching the screen and then on their phones. Yeah. And then, you know, we're Everyone's, all guilty of that. And yeah. it's, it's just we all know, watch splitting the, that attention. Yeah, we're it's all watching so the screen unhealthy. through another screen. I mean, yeah. you've, you've seen my setup here. I watch things on the big screen and I have my computer and I'm actually looking at and and sometimes that can work and I can do that at work yeah yeah because you know that, that's, that's yeah. the whole industry it's all about multitasking totally but um yeah I think I sometimes I lose the ability to be able to prioritize what I need to be able to do because there's so many things on the to-do list mm. at one time according to my brain so that mm. it just needs to be compartmentalized and the more I split screen the less likely I am to be able to cope with those things. So actually reading has been huge. Just even no screens after nine, from nine to 10 is reading. And then hopefully, fingers crossed, be asleep on a weekday before that time. (laughs) Never happens, Mm. fingers crossed. Mm. What time do you have to get up to begin Mm. the day in terms of like on a a radio day? Yeah, and I feel like this, this is probably the most asked question Mm. from anyone um it's not that early mm. so it's kind of yeah it's i'm kind of a bit awkward about it because anyone else is to a breakfast show it's a 4am start if you know if it's 4am yeah, yeah it's even earlier yeah um but you know i'm more of a 5 30 kind of a gal that's luxury <laughs> that's, well, that's huge luxury that's radio, why I, I mean i asked it that way because I, what i was getting at was yeah like in terms of some people have different regimes around how yeah. much instant prep they're doing that morning and stuff not just the time it goes to air and how relative that is to waking up but also you know a later show might also mean an earlier start yeah and sometimes you're treading water if you haven't gone up early enough and then there's a bit of you know spontaneity there because like we've discussed you know i'm producing and and um, presenting so and it catches up with you and it just depends how you know how (laughs) how ready you are to to be able to you know cope with that but it's it's more about getting up a little bit earlier and trying to 
and mostly trying to wake up before I start doing the show. And there'll be people that, um, because because it's radioactive, <laughs> uh, you know things are a bit more flexible, and it doesn't everything doesn't have to be bang on the time that we say it's going yeah, to be yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because there's no producer, that is that is that is what happens. You know, mm. human error. But you have someone who kind of helps with booking and stuff, so that you kind of so like do you. What I was, what I want to ask is. You know what's this? What's the overall autonomy level? Do you ever get told, "Well, this has to be on the show," or do mm. you get to veto things and go, well, "I don't want to talk to that person," yeah, or "I don't want to cover that issue." Yeah, you know, mostly what, the reason I wouldn't talk to someone is um, overexposure. Well, well, mostly like if there's something that just isn't sitting right about you know, mm. um, you know, there's a couple of bands, a couple of bands that I have refused to interview because of the. Um, just the allegations that have come out about that, and because because I can't clarify them, I'm just not willing to risk that. Yeah, you can't ask them, about it. Yeah, and I don't want, I don't really want to. So um, and you can't, you don't want to be seen as an enabler. Yeah, and I also wonder. Yeah. yeah, I'm interested in what you think about that as well about um, music journalism. Period. You know, we, we've gotten to this. Um, you know, post me too. We've gotten into this quite interesting territory of of musicians being um finally you know held account for some of the things that um yeah. you know have allegedly happened mm. and you know should music journalism be covering that more heavily i mean we've left that to news media but you know even the other day i heard on the public broadcaster an interview with um a band that has had um you know numerous allegations made against them Mm. And I and I knew that, and this this is before the media had covered that. I knew that being in you know being in the mm. know, or what have you. Mm. And I thought to myself, this is really interesting. This person is getting about 30, 40 minutes of air time, um, and you know, because the show was um, music one hundred and one, I did think that the, there would be some maybe harsher questions directed towards that musician just to see if they you know if they yeah. can hold them to account but yeah. you know what do you think the line is in music journalism it doesn't seem traditionally like that's been the role no well i mean i i'm the wrong person to ask in many ways because i'm sort of a non-practicing music journalist in a way As and a former, I'm, though, I'm a former i'm a i'm an ex frustrated <laughs> um in some people's mind i was never really a proper one um and I wrote a book called The Death of Music Journalism. <laughs> so, uh, um, look, I think the simple answer is, uh, frankly, we've always had a very weak, suck-up kind of style of music journalism in New Zealand. And I think we're seeing that um, now with the... Well, we're going to see it with the release of the 660 documentary. The peddling this line, and I, I, I realise... Uh, as I'm saying this, I, I'm actually probably the person they're talking about in the advanced hype for it. But they're talking about how they had to overcome critics not liking them. Well, you know, critics have never really had a say in what makes a band popular or not. And it's irrelevant. It's a critic's job to look at the music and how it sits. It's not to award trophies. That's what we have award ceremonies for and they're garbage as well. So... Yeah, I don't. I 
to answer your question in two ways, yes, music, it would be great if music journalism stood up, announced itself, became a thing, and actually held this to account. Will it happen? No. And Music 101 has, from my, to my ears, trended completely backwards from what it was a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and beyond, to basically being little puff piece. I mean, they go on Facebook and basically crowdsource what their playlist is going to be, and they will tell you that that's engagement and that's playing what the audience wants. But it's laziness, it's lack of um, prep, you know, it's lack of stumping up and having a coherent theme and pushing agendas and doing anything of any actual interest off their own bat. It's being completely lazy and it's also not wanting to throw much in the way of resources at things. You know, if it, they, they want to do things as cheaply as possible. So it, it seems like there's also another push there to, you know, be commercially. Yes, yes, it's that split and, and idea. That's the split, and, and yeah. it's, it's difficult. Totally. Um, being, you know, we don't have a public broadcaster for music specifically, so that, so that issue falls there. And I guess it's difficult to maintain integrity, um, you know, as a music journalist when you're trying to uncover stories of musicians that maybe won't get traction. Yeah. But you've also got a push from the top, perhaps. I mean, perhaps I'm, to be commercially interested like all people i'm obviously a bit of a hypocrite because if someone came to me and said would you write a story about these couple of bands that have allegations i would probably say no but the reason i would say no is because i never followed the bands to begin with i'm frankly too old for them and this you know you can be any age but like i haven't followed them so i've got no vested interest and i i can't claim to be interested in that side of things i think someone should absolutely call it out but it doesn't need to be me mm. you know like mm. and, and and if that makes me a hypocrite so bad i don't yeah think it, i don't think it does and back to um, your original question mm. with autonomy mm. um yes you like we get quite a good a lot of free reign which is really nice yeah and so you can follow what you want to follow exactly yeah yeah but i wondered about yeah and they're really yeah um my boss Jen is is really has always been really supportive about encouraging me to commit to to doing interviews that make me feel uncomfortable. But she knows that I have a genuine interest in and, and needed a bit of a push to, to do. Mm-hmm. Well, why can't you do that? Mm-hmm. Just just give it a go. You'll be fine. You know. Mm. And just making it as simple as that. Yeah. You know, yeah. not um, not letting me overanalyze it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you share a story about getting it spectacularly wrong? Um, I guess like I guess the main the main you know getting it spectacularly wrong, the main issue can be more just you know when someone won't meet you halfway, mm. and that for me happens quite a bit with um with yeah with with musicians who aren't willing to uh, talk about their music a lot. So mm-hmm. I've had um. Yeah, I've had situations where, you know, a one musician, for example, would just give me one word answers. It was amazing. Amazing interview. One of the best interviews ever. <laughs> um, probably the interview I've had the most feedback on ever. Um, and his name's Sal Valentine. And I did this interview with him. And he wasn't engaged with me. I don't, I don't think he particularly liked me. I think perhaps... Was he playing a role though, do you think? Yeah, I think like, perhaps he yeah. decided that um, 
by you know being aloof on purpose it would well, well by maybe by the intro that I'd done for him or perhaps before when we talked on the comp phone before I think he thought I just didn't know who he was right and I'd actually done a lot of research yeah yeah and yeah he just I think he just thought I was uh, maybe some kind of ditzy chick that just didn't really have anything invested in his music so he refused to sort of like meet me halfway and was literally giving me one word answers I was just getting emails I could see the phone lighting up with calls from people and um, someone walked into the studio and wrote on a piece of paper, ask him, just ask him what his favourite colour is. Like it got to that point where um, it mm. was like hang up or give up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I just didn't, didn't let it go. And then asked him quite a sarcastic question about his his partner who he'd obviously written a song about and it was a breakup song and his former partner perhaps um and he laughed and he thought mm. it was great mm. and he just turned and then in the in the last few questions of the interview he was fantastic brilliant was, he was brilliant i was gonna ask you as well so you've got to that i was gonna say can, have you had an experience can you feel the moment where an interview can turn you know like it yeah can that happen. was it yeah, yeah. And that was a, an amazing moment yeah. for me um but it took a lot of work and I really I was at the point of giving up because I felt embarrassed I felt that it reflected on me not being able to make him comfortable enough to talk um but yeah he started laughing and and then he and then he was a great great person to interview yeah I I remember interviewing that guy David Gray and um you know who had that big hit white ladder and and Mm -hmm. and a few other and then really wasn't a massive deal but continues to put albums out and most recently was supposed to be coming here to do the 20th anniversary of white ladder before covid um and i interviewed him when he was i guess probably at the peak peak of his fame in um the early 2000s or mid 2000s and he was awful like he was so uninto it and i'm quite prepared to accept that i was probably not very good too but at one point i just ended up saying to him just a phone interview and i just sort of said why do you hate doing interviews and he was like what's that and I was like why do you why do you not enjoy them and he goes who told you that and I said well you're telling me now um and he sort of laughed and I thought oh sweet we're gonna go somewhere and then he was like well you know you you personally haven't offended me but I have heard some of these questions before um and you know and I said but why should they be different every time you know I I don't listen to every interview you do and I'm interested in your response to me and and we ended up just getting into this it became quite a philosophical conversation Mm. about how futile interviews can be and I started agreeing with him about plenty of it as well and it ended up being quite a good conversation you know and I was like I've got no interest in your music and you seemed so cold but we actually got somewhere was cool like yeah and there is something to be said about knowing what your character or your guest is going to be like and and how they like interviews because that will totally change the way that i research um and it will be you know i'll try and find out things about them that they Mm. wouldn't think that you would know Mm. uh and then that will surprise them and give them enough respect for you to give you an answer that they hadn't thought of before Mm. and have there been people that you have been intimidated about interviewing I guess in a good way you know like oh that person's my hero I'm nervous you know nervous oh, most people I'm intimidated to interview really yeah most people yeah I think um even still even still yeah like, like I mean that's know, your quite, heart just starts beating yeah you know you, that's you know. healthy that's healthy though because that mm. means you care 
Yeah, like yeah. There's, that, a, there's an adrenaline that's, that comes That's like um, stage nerves. Mm. You're just trying to do a good job. Mm. Like that's just, um, yeah, managing the adrenaline. Like there's a surge of it and you're just trying to channel it and go, oh, I hope I get out of this okay. Yeah. Like I hope this works Yeah. For, for everyone. In your case, for you the guest and the listener right that's the whatever the uh whichever waiting you're giving it to you want it to be a good piece of radio and and then you've got these people that you know get interviewed all the time and who happily comply mm. uh and they're obviously you know they obviously do interviews back to back yeah and you, you have to wait and they say oh right we're just connecting you to this person in their hotel room yeah yeah and they beep 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 and then you go through and you've only got 12 minutes to talk to this person because they've got back-to-back interviews yeah and they are skilled, yes, skilled interviewees. But the answers are exactly the same each they're playing, time. They're you know? playing a role, yeah, yeah. I interviewed Dr. Jane Goodall, and I was so, so incredibly excited for yeah. that. And that was a really special moment for me mm. in, in, this, um, in this job. And then I went the next night to watch her perform at the Michael Fowler Centre, and the answers that she had given me With were the same that she the, gave yeah, Jesse yeah. Mulligan. Yeah. And that... For me, was it crush, um, a bit crushing? A bit crushing because I tried to ask questions yeah. in a very different way. I really did. Yeah, yeah. And the answers were the same because, you know, she uh, she, uh, she has to go into autopilot. She's otherwise, if she gave more and thought every single time in a unique way and gave a little bit different of herself each time, mm. she'd be exhausted. Yeah. And she probably yeah. naturally is, but it seems like she's a woman with a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... Her mission is always to save the world, and that will come out in the ways that she that was a good. That was a good... I mean, I don't always enjoy those uh, long-winded, on-stage interviews where it's performative, but that one that she did with Jesse was pretty good all up. And he actually got answers out of her yeah. that I've never heard before. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that was good. But, but he didn't have 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they would have um, pre arranged bits of it and so forth you know yeah. on some level should have been, you know there was some there would have been some shared ideas around how that was going to go but mm. but it was a good but that would be a bit crushing to turn up and go oh well, now she's on you know almost i my worst one that i think about well, not worst one but one that i get a kind of kick out of in a perverse way is i interviewed this filmmaker alex gibney's documentarian and he's made about 30 films in about the last decade. He's so busy. And a lot of political films, but he's also done some great stuff about musicians. Mm. Big two-part one that's on Netflix about Frank Sinatra. And recently a really good one about Trump. And, you know, some amazing films. And I spoke to him. And, you know, was he interested in talking to me? No. (laughs) And he was way too busy. And he basically said after about six or seven minutes, I'll take one more question and then we'll wrap this up. And I was kind of crushed because I thought, well, I'm doing an okay job here, I think. And then he just kind of went... And then I watched his next film and saw what he had in the pipeline. And I thought, fuck, if I was him, I wouldn't want to speak to me either. Like, he's far too busy. You know, he was getting off a flight when he was talking to me. He yeah, was, and that, that and, to me, that's what's hard. Yeah. Yeah, that could be quite hard. But you just got to not take it personally yeah, and go, yeah. like, he might have been like this to absolutely anyone. Like, mm-hmm. And it, it's tricky. You've got to know when especially you fucked when some, it up. Yeah, especially when um, it's a public platform and people are kind of, like, you know, on the ride with you. It can be kind of, yeah, it can be a little bit I had, 
Yeah, I had the worst. Or an ego hit. The worst interview I had was with St. Vincent, whose music I liked a lot at the time. Really? And I thought she was dreadful, and I felt genuinely um, sorry for her that she had to do the interview because she sounded exhausted and uninterested. Mm. And I got off the phone, and the publicist messaged me. I think the next day it was a nighttime interview, and the publicist messaged me and said, "How did it go?" And had some insight into we're a bit worried about how these interviews went. And I said, it didn't go well and I don't intend on doing anything with it, frankly. I don't want to expose her as being uncommunicative, but I don't really want to fake it and pretend that mm. it was all great. Um, so I'm just going to leave it. And she was like, no, I totally understand. And then um, people started writing these puff pieces about how wonderful she was. So I wrote a blog piece saying she was easily the worst interviewee I ever had and then Music 101 got hold of her and told her that like had an interview with her and told her that and she yeah and she sort of and she did this great interview with them and she sort of started shitting on how I had asked dumb questions but she had actually conflated my interview with which would be easy to do with other interviews and a guy sent me the transcript of his interview that he had done before me and he had tra- transcribed the whole tape and somehow it had kept running after she thought she'd hung up and she hadn't. And he's got her on tape going, I will pay someone to get me out of doing these interviews. And it's horrific. Like there's actual anguish in her voice, you know, like yeah, it's awful. So I just people really, like, so I felt really sorry for her because yeah, it was just, just like she's doing interviews. Well, she was just like probably doing them on her one day off in the middle of a big tour or something and going, what do I, why can't I have a fucking break? I've just played yeah. six nights in a row. So I felt really quite sorry for it, but it was still a shit experience. <laughs> it was still a really shit mm. experience. It put me off her music for a long time. Yeah. And, and some musicians, it's just, it's not a natural you know, they don't want to talk about their music ever. So it's, yeah. it's never going to be natural and easy. Like Aldous Harding, for example, um, I haven't sought out to interview her because mm. it's visible that she is uncomfortable Yeah, with there's that. enough examples and out I, there. Yeah, and yeah. I truly, truly respect her as a musician and really enjoy listening to her. Mm. And I don't want to, you know, Burst I don't that. want to connect yeah. those two things. Yeah. I don't need to. If you don't need to, it's best mm. not to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. I mean, it would never happen for me, um, but I would never seek out trying to interview someone like Bob Dylan, who the experience is only going to be mm. deflating. It's not going to heighten my yeah. uh, awareness and interest in the things that have made him great over the years. It's only going to be bad, you know. There's yeah. not even a challenge aspect to that. I mean, he's, he's an extreme example because it's simply not going to happen. It, it's not, you know, he doesn't do doesn't many do. interviews and he's not going to talk to someone, you know, here, uh, especially now, you know, why would he? But, but um, yeah, there are people like that where you just go, well, I just won't mm. seek that out. And mm. then there are... And then equally there are people that you expect might not be a good interview, but you connect with them in some way and it becomes really, really special and mm. often... Yeah, I, I mean, even just like Dr. Susie Wells, for example. Oh, yeah. She was so delightful. I just played Susie and the Banshees as a lead into the interview, and I didn't expect that Susie and the Banshees was going to be a favourite band. Yeah. But they are. Yeah, yeah. And that just warmed her up, and she was just so stoked. Yeah, and so cool. that whole, you know, and yeah. then. And now I can text her yeah. early in the morning and say, hey, you know, this COVID 19 update's come through or whatever. Can we talk about it? Can I call you at seven thirty? And she said, "Oh yeah, I'll reshuffle this TVNZ interview I've got today, or whatever." Mm. And she literally will, and then will get back to me, and we'll have a really nice interview for about ten minutes. And it's just because 
you know, in a very, you know, base level, you've connected with her. Mm. Um, someone who speaks constantly mm. to journalists. Mm. Mm. So that's interesting as well, and that, that restores a bit of hope in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, well, you're gathering some good experiences. You're getting some good stories out there, like, you know, and, and across... Um, print and radio you're capturing a lot of cool stuff do you sort of have regular pinch yourself moments where you're like i can't believe i got to talk to that person i can't believe this is actually happening and and no imposter syndrome either i actually did a good job you know are you able to look at it and do that not quite yet yeah no and i think that um but to your point, I, earlier, I use, to your point earlier, that's when you'll be able to move on. That's from what it, I'll right? be able yeah, to move yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I still think of this as like the best training ground. Like I think of this as a public um, degree. Mm, mm, My job. Yeah. Mm. I think of this as you know the version of broadcasting school that I am not willing to invest in because I've already got a student loan. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. So this is yeah this is that. And when um, I won't go into the whole you know. Imposter syndrome thing, but it, it definitely that's yeah that's part of my day. It's become really big this year. It seems like mm. it's become a uh, yeah we we hit, we get in our a, own a, way a buzz term and yeah in the worst possible way right yeah and the way that I cope with um with that because it's just a handbrake for me all the time like I yeah so you're, you're i so gonna, i disagree i just disagree remember to do you're things. not going to get into it yeah oh well, i disagree to do things <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i just i just say yes yeah and then think about the consequences after mm. uh, i'll commit to things i know i am not prepared or skilled enough to do and then race myself to upskill by the time that i meet yeah you know the challenge that lies ahead yes that's mm. a good way to do it that's exactly and that's the only way i can do it yeah. otherwise i won't do it Someone's and done I'll procrastinate. that. Someone's done that before you in that way, and someone's going to do that after you mm. in that way. So why can't you do it? That's the only way I can get out of my own way. Mm. Mm. I've had. Um, but I'll still be analysing it, overanalyzing it massively. Sure, I mean, but I've had experiences talking to people where I've gone. You know, I. Why are you talking to me? How mm-hmm. How is it that I have got to speak to you? Mm-hmm. But in the middle of that interview it has gone so well mm. because they're a, they're a music fan and I'm a music fan mm-hmm. and we have met that it's all okay I'm yeah. talking about people you know talking to someone like Elvis Costello on the phone which I've done twice and both times you know the second time wasn't any easier than the first in terms of my nerves because it's like he could be not a, I mean for a start he's great um, he's super intelligent and he's you know, quite happy to talk at length at on all sorts of topics and also get angry with people, you know, mm-hmm. like he's quite happy to vent. So it's like you could say the wrong thing. You can so easily miscommunicate something in a phone interview, I think, can't you? Like mm. the intention it can get lost. I think over the phone it's mm. specific, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult in its own sense for sure. There's, you know, obviously not being able to read someone yeah, and you know, cues, just see yeah. where they are yeah. and just and just how that how they're feeling and that that it will never be as you know as straightforward as it could yeah. be if you were face to face and I, it's really funny being on the radio often people like straight after you come off here will just sort of boost and just like quickly leave the studio and there's no real time to sort of 
you know, unpack mm. what happened on there. Mm. Um, so even then, sometimes you don't really realise, you know, what someone actually thought. The worst feeling is knowing that someone didn't get what they wanted out of it too. Um, and that's, I don't mind that with politicians and, and people who need to be held to account. Mm. Um, but when it comes to, yeah, people who are, um, who are, who are doing great things in the community, and they they come off yeah, here and they yeah. forget that they were meant to promote the event that well, you know that they were there to promote or something or, like that, or that you derailed it. Not not saying you would, exactly. but in, or that you derailed it so that couldn't happen. Exactly, yeah. and I yeah. and I do, and I feel guilt after after that kind of thing. Or some some musicians who are doing solo projects don't want to talk about um, the band that they're involved in. And I find it hard because I, I think, well, isn't that, you know, that's also a major part of your life. Could we not talk about the band? But no, we're only meant to talk about the thing that's, you know, that's happening right then and there, the solo project. So that's also interesting. So, well. you know, I'm just using this example because uh, I, I can speak about it with authority. When you interviewed me, mm. we talked about all sorts of things mm-hmm. uh, around music, mm. mostly, and, and writing I'd done. And, but we talked about my book, we plugged the launch, we plugged the hell out of it, but we, it was a nice warm chat about really the background on how it might be that I'd come to write a book like that. So I walk out of there going, that's great, you know, we, we both did a good job mm. basically, but you did a very good job as the facilitator of that. And I remember when my first book came out eight years ago, um, a guy from The Listener biked around here to interview me and my publisher said, you know, this is a really big deal getting a interview for The Listener. You've got to be at home for it. So my kid was a baby, so my mother-in-law came around and looked after him while we did the interview. And this guy spent over two hours here and I knew the exact moment when he got the question he wanted to get to make the angle he wanted to make and all it was was he butted me up and wasted my time about a whole lot of things to do with music purely so he could say now did you have the idea for this book or was it a commissioned piece and I said well someone from Penguin came to me and asked me if I'd be interested in the book they asked me on the account of the fact that they knew who I was and they'd been following my work and I was very interested in it and I said I would only do it if I could choose the list and that translated into his article as the reason he's so positive in this book is because it was a commission piece you know like he just and I was so furious because I was like that's not a true account of what happened but you came around here wanting to myth bust that you're wanting to place the idea that I'm a negative critic and the reason I've written this published book as I've been paid for it the positive book is because I've been paid for it and you couldn't actually get that out of me and so when you got a glimmer you know you recorded the conversation I mean I just let it happen I'm, uh, the statute of limitations is well gone on it that's why I'm having a rant about it now mm. you know I've never really talked about it before mm. um, but you know that that was a disappointing thing to have happen you know imagine so my point is imagine if I went on your show and you went oh this is actually all a trick we just want to talk to you about how you don't like 660 and you know you were mean about this and you know we don't you know that's that would be annoying <laughs> yeah it would be it would be yeah and, and equally with the book like how much do you give away from the book and how much do you want to just encourage people to you know think about it yeah and, yeah and, you know what would what would be in, inside the pages yeah I've got to go um, do have an appointment now 
Gotta go give blood. We've ha- oh, hope, that, hope that you delete that, that from the interview. No, we'll keep that. No, in. that's, no. that's all part of your community-minded. No, 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 no. It's my biggest fear. Is it's it? my biggest fear. It's not. Um, well, now we yeah, have it's, to. It's my now fear. we have to keep it in. Yeah, it's my biggest fear. So, hey, um, it has been. That, that was a that was a goal for this year <laughs> to do it without passing. To get out. A, oh, I yeah. will literally be closing my eyes. This is not. I'm not leaving for something better. Um. I like the fact that you are sort of comparing this time that we've had to extracting blood from a person. This has been <laughs> both this both has been the warm up <laughs> for you. Um, keep doing the good work. I really am enjoying getting to know you. I love that interview we did, and I love this one that we've just done. Oh, so thank, thank you, you, Simon. Yeah. Such a treat, and what a beautiful spot you've got. It's so cool, right in the heart of the bush, everyone. Beautiful books in here little push to my left yeah it is just such a treat thank you it hasn't been all bad shitting on that <laughs> <laughs>